Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Have you ever thought about writing your memoir? Are you curious about creative nonfiction or writing in community or just how to get started when you're staring at that blank page? If so, you'll love this conversation with Allison Kirkland, writer, instructor, editor, facilitator, writing coach, and arts advocate. There's so much useful and inspirational content in this episode. At the beginning, and again, at the very end of this conversation, you'll hear Allison read her introduction from a recently published anthology titled Honoring Your Stories. Honoring Your Stories includes creative nonfiction written by some of Allison's students. Allison Kirkland holds a degree in English from Duke University and an MFA in creative nonfiction from the New School in New York City. Learn more at alisonkirkland.com, and while you're there, subscribe to her newsletter so you can receive the monthly interview she does with local artists titled Creatives in Conversation. Enjoy the episode. I love the first day of a creative writing workshop because I never know who's going to walk through the classroom door. I always arrive early to push two long tables together and line up 10 chairs around the perimeter. It's important that we are all sitting at the same table, almost like a family meal. Afterward, I sit down for a moment of quiet to peruse the names on the sign-up sheet. Many times my former students will return, but there are always some new names. By the end of the class, I'll know the city they call home. I'll know about their loved ones, their favorite meal, their favorite gift, their favorite holiday. I've been teaching adult creative writing classes at Durham County Library, a place I loved as a child, a place that allowed me to travel to many different worlds through the books I read since 2016. I've taught poetry workshops and family history classes, but the first writing class I ever taught with the library was a six-week creative nonfiction workshop called Honoring Your Stories at Durham County Library. I taught that class again in the spring of 2018 this time at Durham County Library's North Regional Library. When these students began to trickle in to sit at our communal table, I was excited for the stories they had come to write and honored to help them craft these stories. The class was comprised of students of all ages from many backgrounds and races. They drove in from all over the triangle. Some were new to writing. Some had written for years, even decades. They arrived with the expectation that they would learn from me, their teacher, sitting at the head of the table with lesson plans, and that they would also learn from each other. The first day we went over introductions, our names, where we were from, and one interesting thing about ourselves. I was already fascinated by the little bits of information they disclosed. They had come ready to write. They spoke generously and easily. Nobody was shy. To get our minds worrying on that early morning, I began the writing portion of the class with a prompt. A week earlier, in preparation for this class, I had visited a paint store to gather a handful of paint swatches of all sizes, in colors ranging from deep purple to a muted green. I spread them out carefully on the table and told each student to pick one. Write about what's happening in the room painted that color. 
They were off. We wrote in silence for 15 minutes. Each student bent over a piece of paper. The class had officially begun. Allison, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know that you teach writers working in all genres, individually and in groups, but you have a special love for memoir and personal essays in particular. So what about those types of writing interest you so much? Well, first of all, I love reading this genre. Uh, I love reading memoirs. I love reading personal essays. And I love writing them. And when I was thinking about it, I think that I champion this form because it's kind of a small way of me to push back against things I see about the world that I don't think serve people in the world very well. I think the way our world is set up right now, we kind of prioritize easy, clickable journalism headlines like over a more beautiful, long, painstakingly written long-form article. I think a lot of that has to do with revenue. We prioritize financial gain over what might be a joyful, interesting read or um, understanding a complex situation in all its nuance. And we also may not have the time to really get to know people. So we tend to latch onto one personality characteristic and might put them in a box. And then we keep them there. As a population, we don't really want to do the hard work of exploring the complexity of the world and people in the world. But I think memoir and personal essay, they allow the world or they allow the world to see people in all the complexity. And it, it allows us to see the world in its complexity. Things are not as black and white as we think they are. Um, memoir, nonfiction, in general, personal essay, it's all about exploring those gray areas. So by championing in this form, I really want to encourage the world to slow down, to make time for beauty, to make time for nuance, to explore big questions that might not bring in revenue, but might make their life richer and help them understand themselves better. I don't think that we have to live with a hasty headline. We deserve more than that. It's not serving us. And yes, it's hard work to take the time and think deeply about each other's complexities, but it's worth the work. And I want to do the work. I want to do the work together. I feel that in my classes, I can provide a roadmap for doing that work. Why don't you think people want to take the time to to do this work or to read other people's work? I don't think that the way the world is set up allows us the time and the space to prioritize those things. Well, part of it is probably capitalism um, because, of course, the first thing is going to be making a living so that we can survive, so that we can live. Part of why I love the memoir and personal essay form is that on a very basic level, I just think truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> that is that. <laughs> now, that is the truth. <laughs> yes, yes. And for me, I've always viewed fiction as kind of a celebration of the imagination of the writer. Uh, but when it comes to nonfiction, not only are you getting the imagination of the writer, because the writer has to think of this nonfiction piece of their life or something else in terms of dialogue, in terms of narrative arc, in terms of characterization and voice. So not only are we getting that imagination of the writer, which I love thinking about, but we're also kind of celebrating the world itself mm-hmm. and how amazing and unpredictable it is and how strange it is and how wonderful it is in a lot of ways. And so I think it's kind of like double whammy. You mm-hmm. know, you're not only getting to explore someone's imagination and explore them at a craft level of the artistic choices that they make, but we're also getting to celebrate the fact that this is our reality. This is the world that we're living in and kind of pay tribute to the strangeness and the unpredictability of the world. Yes. I love that. This seems 
something that we don't get to experience very often, the celebration of what is Mm -hmm. and what people have gone through. Definitely. So when people come to you to take classes, they want to be there. They feel like they have some sort of story to share. Mm -hmm. How do you approach teaching people who want to write about their lives? Well, I'm already at a little bit of an advantage if they already want to write about their lives. I was reading a book by the memoirist Mary Carr. Uh, She wrote a book on on craft called The Art of Memoir. And she said, and she's sort of snarky, and she said that a lot of people come up to her and say, you write your own life stories, you write your memoirs, you know, I would love to write a memoir, but I can never remember anything or... I just, I don't, I don't really want to think that hard about my life. And she says, well, then don't write one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not compulsory. Yes, right. you do not have to, you know. <laughs> so I think that I really am at an advantage that I'm working with people that are excited to explore, are excited to ask themselves those big questions and might have to sit with a little bit of discomfort when mm-hmm. they think about what the answers might be or uh, when they have to quiet that voice in their head that says, you know, who needs to read this, who who wants to write about, who wants to read about your life, or this is not important. For me, the two things that I like to emphasize are number one, curiosity. Um, there's this phrase, write about your obsessions, which I think is so true. We all have these little things that we're kind of obsessed with mm-hmm. that we want to explore. And I often say to people, what are you looking up on Wikipedia? Like when you have those five minutes where you're just doodling around a computer, what websites are you going to? What are you exploring? And then I often say to them, when you're lying in bed at night, what are you thinking about? What's keeping you up at night? Um, Because those are often the things that you're going to want to explore on the page. You might be asking yourself a really big question that you just keep going over and over in your head. And maybe it's time to get that out on, on the page and figure out what you really think about it. And the second thing that I like to emphasize in the writing classes that I think it's kind of a key element to have if if you're if you want to explore personal essay or memoir is again what I was saying earlier discomfort gosh people I think want writing to be you know always a cathartic and comfortable experience and I think the reality of the of that is that it, it's actually not very comfortable it, it can be a great portal to self-knowledge and when you get those sentences correctly and you're able to describe something that's indescribable, it's so incredibly rewarding, but it's also really uncomfortable. You might be exploring your life. You might be, you know, hearing that voice in your head, that critical inner voice saying, that's not important. You're not a good writer. Why are you writing this? And you have to sit with the discomfort of both of those things. And I think discomfort is a muscle that can be uh, stretched. And the more you are willing to sit with it, the stronger it gets. Mm -hmm. You're able to sit with discomfort longer and longer. What do you say to people who in particular are thinking, no one will be interested in this. No one would want to read about my life, Mm -hmm. sort of diminishing their own life story? Well, first of all, I think that it's possible to make the personal universal. You don't have to have had an interesting life to write a great memoir, a great personal essay. Actually, I I brought a quote with me by this writer, Mary Philpott, and she was she wrote an article on LitHub, um, which is an online magazine. 
And it's all about how we need ordinary memoirs. We need memoirs about just ordinary people going through their lives. <laughs> it's kind of like, we don't need the dramatic stories. We don't, that is a genre, but it's not necessary. And she said, imagine we all kept a shelf stocked with sharply written, illuminating first person accounts of these stages of life, not just the eventful beginnings and endings, but the middles too. We'd have what amounts to an instruction guide for living. We'd know better how to survive the ordinary things that happen to all of us, but which are no less daunting for their ordinariness. And I really love that because I think that a lot of times people think that their lives are ordinary, but actually we're all human beings on this earth trying to figure out how to live, how to get from, from point A to point B, how to make decisions. When we're at a crossroads, do we go one fork in the road or the other? And I think having these memoirs, first of all, it does kind of provide us with a little bit of an instruction manual on how to make big choices. But also, I think in making the personal universal, we might not have lived your story. Let's say you're writing a story about maybe you had a sibling who, you know, got sick and you're writing about their time in the hospital and your relationship to them. Well, let's say you're reading that and you haven't had a sibling that got sick. You haven't had that experience, but you have had the experience of feeling powerless in the face of someone who's struggling. You have had the experience of thinking about your relationship to a certain person and then your larger relationship to the world. What people are going to connect to is not your life story, not the plot of the story. They're going to connect to the emotional resonances that you're providing in that story. And that's what's going to draw them in. And the meaning that you made yes. out of it, right? What I love about this is that we get lots of little peeks into people's lives through social media, but it's not the same, no. right? Not at all, because those venues of, quote, self-expression are so finely curated yes. to achieve certain effects, number one. But number two, there is not that depth of meaning mm -hmm. making that comes out of it. And there's not the same kind of relationship over time yes. that, that you can develop in the same way that you would develop with sort of with alongside the author if you were reading a longer form Very true. Uh, personal essay or memoir. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people struggle, and I'm going to raise my hand here. I struggle <laughs> with the blank page. Yes. So you sit down for the very first time and you're looking at a blank screen or a blank page and it's starting that is the hardest part. Do you have any tips or tricks for getting people to just start? Yes. Well, first of all, taking a class is a great way to start <laughs> because you're going to be working with other people. You're going to have structure. You're going to have deadlines. I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying that because I teach classes. I think it's really integral. But also I think that working off of prompts can be really helpful. I like to give prompts kind of as a generative exercise to generate ideas. And I think that you can actually do that at home. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't necessarily need someone to do that for you. You can look around uh, the room and just start by looking at objects uh, that you might have around your home and what kind of meaning you might have infused those objects with. Or you might be thinking about, you know, a song on the radio that we're listening to to at a particular time of your life and what memories that might bring up. So first of all, again, be willing to sit with that blank page. There's nothing more vulnerable than that. It's sitting there in front of you, taunting you. <laughs> <laughs> Just sit for a little bit longer than you, than you want to and see what happens.
So let's follow that thread, this idea of writing in community, because I know that you have seen the proof, you have experienced that this works. I think a lot of people consider writing to be a very solo experience or necessitates an entirely solo experience, but you see it as a community experience. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, first of all, I think I do see it as a community experience from a very basic level because I'm an extrovert. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, I'll do whatever I can to get in front of people and get energized. But I also think that the way our world is set up, we don't have a lot of spaces that allow for deep contemplation, that allow for sharing parts of ourselves with others, Mm -hmm. and that allow for exploration. I'll use an example. I teach a lot of classes through the Durham County Library, and every class is different. A couple years ago, I was teaching a class through the library. It was a six-week class, and it was an. Ex- it happened to be an, uh, an extremely diverse class. It had people of all walks of life, all socioeconomic statuses, um, all races, all ages. In fact. I'd been teaching earlier at a retirement community, and a couple of the women from the retirement community had followed me over to this library class, and they were in their 90s, amazingly, and sharp as tacks. So this was a mix of a lot of different people coming together, and my last class of that six weeks was the day after the last presidential election. Wow. Yes. Here we were, we'd spent six weeks getting to know each other. We'd spent six weeks writing about our lives, trying to figure out how to write about our lives in the most communicative, effective way, and sharing a lot, sharing a lot uh, of these essays about different times of our lives. Of course, everyone came to class that morning, and a lot of them were kind of reeling from the from the events the night before. I know personally, I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. Right literally walking around in a hunch. And I knew I had to keep the class on task. And so I said, I know we have a lot to discuss today. This is our last class. I really want to take advantage of the time that we have. But at the end, I also want to leave a little bit of time, 10 minutes, to talk about the election. Because I knew people were thinking about it. They had to get it out of their systems. And I wanted to acknowledge that. And so we conducted class as normal. And then at the end, I gave them their 10 minutes. And In particular, there were two women who had become friends during this class. And uh, one of them was one of the women who followed me over from the retirement community. And she was 95 years old, extremely, extremely smart, extremely warm, wrote a lot about being a mother and her family and her roles in life. And she also was from a retirement community that was one of the more affluent retirement communities. And the woman that she'd become friends with uh, was a, a younger woman. I think she was maybe early 30s at the latest. And uh, she was African-American and had been a teacher. And they had formed this friendship throughout the six weeks because they actually found in sharing their work that they had an awful lot in common. Mm-hmm. They thought about the world in a really similar way. They'd made similar choices. They had similar values. The younger woman had voted for Hillary. The older woman had voted for Trump. And this came out in the conversation that they had in the 10 minutes. And they looked at each other. They were sitting next to each other. And the younger woman said, please tell me why you voted for him. I'm not accusing you, but I want to understand. And the older woman 
told why she had voted for him and how she'd made that decision. And then the older woman said, well, tell me why you voted for Hillary. I also want to understand. And the younger woman described her values and why she'd voted uh, for Hillary. Here they were, they were not coming at each other from a place of, you know, I hate to use the word divisive because I think now it's being overused, but they're not coming to each other from a place of wanting to be judgmental. They're coming from a place of wanting to understand. Mm. They also have built up a relationship with each other. They recognize we have so much in common and yet we voted for two different people that seem to represent two different ideologies about life. The takeaway that I that I got from that is how many spaces do we allow in the way society is set up now for that type of communication mm-hmm. and that type of deep understanding. There's just, there's so few arenas for that right now. When do we even interact in a room with such a variety of socioeconomic right. uh, levels, such a variety of ages? You know, this was a 95-year-old and a 30-year-old woman. We don't behave intergenerationally mm-hmm. in our society right now. You know, the old people are in the retirement homes and they're away from they're away from everyone else. I just don't see a lot of spaces that are constructed in our day-to-day life where we make room for these questions. And I think when we do, it's seen as luxury. Mm. It's seen as, oh, wow, you guys have the time, you know, to read something. You guys have the time to write about your lives. Wow, lucky you, you know. It sounds like what you're saying is that if this class had not happened – this conversation might not have yes. happened. The urge to understand yes. might not have occurred. And so, and where are these conversations happening yeah. if not for classrooms like this? Mm-hmm. Because we don't really share about our lives in this kind of way. I remember I was in a workshop. It was actually an intimacy direction workshop. And one of the exercises was to form a relationship with your scene partner, basically. Oh, wow. And so you would look at this person and you would imagine them when they were five having their fifth mm-hmm. birthday party. And then you would imagine them when they were 13 and going to their first you know, middle school dance. And then you'd imagine them when they were 18 and had their heart broken. You would imagine mm-hmm. them like th- at these various points in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I was creating fiction about yes. a person that I did not know. And that person was creating fiction about me not mm-hmm. having known me. But I felt so much closer to this other person having learned about their, quote, life and having walked through it with them. Mm -hmm. It creates – I have a a friend who whenever she comes up to somebody who she finds challenging or difficult, Mm -hmm. she always imagines them as a small child. And and I think these – these moments of like shared humanity or Mm -hmm. vulnerability Mm -hmm. or just, you know, realizing that we're all trying to get through this life. We've all had muddle through it as best we can. Yeah. But we're like real people. Yes. Um, I think that immediately changes the dynamic Mm -hmm. with the person you're sitting across from or the person you're trying to have a conversation with and understand. So we have accountability Mm -hmm. and connection. Mm -hmm. Are there other things that people might gain through writing a community or as part of a class? It's easier to remember why you're doing the thing that you're doing. When you're writing and you're sitting there by yourself at a desk just staring at words all day, yes, there is some way in which that can be very meaningful and and actually 
very satisfying. You know, as I said before, when you when you're able to describe the indescribable and you feel like I have actually described something that maybe nobody else has described before, or I actually was able to communicate more effectively than I ever have. That's great. But it's it's easy to forget that other people are connecting with those things as well, because, you know, we don't, we don't have the advantage of, you know, live theater where you have an audience right in front of you all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is wonderful. And I think a way you can get that with writing is by taking a class and sharing and seeing people's reactions, seeing people connect. It reminds you, oh, there's a reason that I am spending this difficult time writing and it's to connect with other people Mm -hmm. and to share my experience with other people. And having the immediacy of that, I think is motivating. Yeah. The encouragement to continue. It's easy to stop. Yeah. It's easy to stop. Yeah. Now you have an anthology coming out. Mm -hmm. It actually just came out. Oh, it just came out. Mm -hmm. I see it right here in front of me, I believe. Now this was a year in the making. You called it a long process for a short book <laughs> yes. uh, that contains some nonfiction stories that your students wrote. Two questions. Mm-hmm. One is, would you read a selection of it? And then two is, I'd like to know more about why you decided to put together a book. Yeah. This again was through the Durham County Library, which has been just a wonderful support. There was a particular class that I taught in spring of 2018. And The class just had the type of chemistry that you actually can't teach. Mm. It was just a group of people that loved being together, that fed off of each other's writing, and that pushed each other. Um, They they pushed each other to be better writers. They were really open to me pushing them as well. And so after the class, I I had toyed actually with the idea of getting a, a film crew in there and filming the class because I think I wanted people to see kind of that indescribable nature of a classroom. I, I mean, I, I know I keep mentioning live theater. Uh, it, it's my other love. For me, teaching is kind of like being in a theater because you're kind of reacting against peop- other people's energy. Mm-hmm. You have to be very improvisational. You know, if something's not clicking, try something else and see if that clicks or try another way of explaining it. And so I kind of wanted people to see the chemistry of the class and, and the improvisational nature of the class and um, the way in which the classroom is sort of its own art form. Mm. Um, and it's an art form that's, you can't catch it. It's gone once once the class is over. So I, I toyed with that, but I thought, well, what, what would be even better is to come up with a way to showcase their work and for me to attempt to describe the class in words. And that way we could celebrate words, celebrate writing. The people in the class could have something they could take with them to remember their hard work and to remember what what the classroom experience had been like. And so it was a great experience. I loved the experience of putting it together. It was designed and um, put together by Dave Wofford of Horse and Buggy Press. So it is a fully Durham all local, <laughs> um, which is great. And I'll read something. Again, this was the type of class where we had a wide variety of ages. There's a woman, Mary Brogdon, who's taken several of my classes. She is a wonderful writer, and she actually writes, they're kind of prose poems, um, but they're all about her life. She wrote this beautiful poem called Walking, 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 and it's all about her life in Durham. So I'll read that. Walking, Walking, Walking by Mary Brogdon. 
1981, winter into spring, January into April. Cold, wind, ice, rain, sunshine. Walking, walking, walking. Every afternoon, the house too silent, too still. Walking, walking, walking. Up, down, around, along familiar blocks. Past the neatly divided parking spaces where had been the house of his birth, to which I had come as a bride. Past the run-down half-abandoned motel, there, once upon a time, stood a dazzling new Holiday Inn. Walking, walking, walking. A pause to observe progress on the conversion of warehouses into trendy Brightleaf Square. Another pause to delight in the floral arrangements of the next shop on Main Street. A complete stop in front of the college shop to admire the smart outfits in the front window. Walking, walking, walking. A glance at East Campus before turning south, home to the silent still house. Walking, walking, walking. Never out of mind, the mound of earth in Maplewood Cemetery, bare of grass and tombstone. Keep moving. Walking, walking, walking. It was in April that it was there, in the college shop window. A mesmerizing sight. No need for it, only a want of it. Continue. Walking, walking, walking. The next day, the next day, and the day afterwards, the outfit in the window beckoned. Three pieces, iridescent green silk taffeta skirt, silk moiré ruffled off the shoulder top. At the waist, pink velvet. It spoke of starry eyes, the embrace of strong arms, of loving a man to the point of explosion. Walking, walking, walking. Opened the shop door just to inquire of size and price. Far too expensive for a frivolous, no-place-to-wear-it outfit. A jumble of yes-no in my brain and heart. Watery eyes, trembling lips. I retreated. Walking, walking, walking. Reasoning that my upper arms were unwrinkled and the hollow in my neck shallow, the top might work with something sophisticated. My closet became its home. Walking, walking, walking. At first, I tried it on often. As years passed, less and less, memories of no use to me fell everywhere. Walking, walking, walking. On a new path, new challenges. Twenty-plus years later, with price tag attached, the blouse went to goodwill. Walking, walking, walking. What was would never be again. Walking, walking, walking. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So, Allison, I want to switch just slightly yes. uh, in a different direction and talk about creatives in conversation. You give a beautiful gift to our community via a monthly blog titled Creatives mm-hmm. in Conversation on your website, and it features interviews with local artists, some of wh- whom I've interviewed on the podcast, <laughs> which was really fun because I got to read their interview with you yes. and then think about their interview with me, and that was delightful. I'm curious to know that after multiple interviews with these artists, what strikes you about these conversations? I've been surprised at how different each interview has been. Um, I started this interview series uh, because I had a lot of questions about what it meant to be an artist. So the questions I'm asking the interviewees are the same questions that I've been asking myself for years. 
I had just moved back to Durham. I was uh, in New York City for most of my 20s. And in my 30s, I moved back to Durham, which is my hometown. So I think I wanted to kind of re-engage with my hometown in a different way. And for me, that meant really delving into the artistic community here, which has just blown me away. What surprised me, again, that each interview is different. I asked the same basic five or six questions. And that was the point is I wanted to see if different people could answer the same questions differently. And I think I was really worried that after a certain point, they would all start sounding the same. And that I would start hearing the same answers and, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to stop this interview series. But no, I am surprised each and every time that the people bring their own personal experiences. And honestly, each interview is as unique as a fingerprint. It feels comforting to me to know that Mm -hmm. because it expands my idea of what an artist is, right? And what an artist is, is everything, anything, you know, know, it's, it's what you are. And that is enough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The way you do it, the way you art is perfectly perfect. Yes. There's no right answer. So for you, when you have these conversations with other creatives who work in different mediums, I mean, Mm -hmm. we've got visual artists, musicians, dancers, craftspeople, theater people, other writers. How do you take what they give you and fold it back into your own practice? Does it overlap or influence the way you do your work? I actually joke with people that the week that I'm conducting an interview, the interview ends up answering a question that I'm asking myself that week. Hmm. And it's it's kind of almost uncanny that the minute I'm conducting the interview and that question is answered, I'll say, Oh, okay, I just got the answer. I don't need to I don't need to think about that question anymore. I got it. One of the things that I've noticed with the podcast mm-hmm. And I'm curious if this is something that you've experienced as well, Mm -hmm. is that artists don't often get the opportunity to talk about their work and to talk about what they think about making it. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, yes, definitely. It's just not a conversation that we have because we're always so busy doing the thing Mm -hmm. or trying to amass the resources to make it happen that there are few opportunities to have a conversation about, you know, what it means, why we do it, what we hope for, all of those really vital pieces mm-hmm. of the making. And very interior pieces. And very interior too. pieces. Have you noticed that in your conversations? I've noticed that for people, they are so excited to get that space to talk about it because there's such an emphasis on the end product. But the process is just as interesting. And a lot of times it's something that no one ever gets to see. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm glad I can offer that space. And I think that, I mean, for me personally, I could read books and books and books on artist process. I just find it fascinating the way we have to work through our own roadblocks and the way we have to work through everything that we're bringing to our art and the way we have to work through the response to the art and the way we have to be both connected and disconnected from the process and the outcome and I don't think it's something that that we talk about enough. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that that's why I was really hoping that this interview series would be a space where people I was working with or other people who are just creating art and feeling stuck could come and say, oh, okay, maybe I figured something out now. Or, oh, they're dealing with the same issue that I'm dealing with. And just make them feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of 
my interview series, Making People Feel Less Alone, that's something that I also love about memoir and personal essays, because I do think it's exploring the interiority of people's lives and the things that they are thinking in their heads, but they might not always express to someone. What I hope with the classes that I teach and with my own writing is that I'm I'm able to make people feel less alone where they're not feeling like, oh, I'm the only person who thinks this weird thing or, oh, I'm the only person that has ever experienced this or, you know, nobody has the life that I have and I, I feel alienated. I feel disconnected. I really think that this is an art form that encourages connection and encourages people to realize that they're not alone, mm-hmm. that they have community and they have people around them that are actually experiencing a lot of very similar things. And I think it also says something about something about the validity of having lived a life, mm-hmm. right? It's just a reminder that we are alive, we have lived and done things and yes. that matters and that's noteworthy. It's noteworthy enough to write it on a piece of paper and share it with other people. Oh, yeah. And I feel like there's real value in that. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's part of what I said in, in my introduction of claiming our own personhood, saying that you're worthy and you matter, you know, taking up space. It's easier said than done. Thank you, Allison, <laughs> so much. Thank you. This was a pleasure. For your, your teaching and your writing. Thank you. And being a part of our community. And I will put some links in the show notes so people can read uh, what you have on your website. And thank you so much again. Thank you. What does it mean to honor one's stories? By crafting our stories with care and sharing them with one another, we exert our own worth and personhood. We lived at this time. These are the choices we made. This is what we treasured. This is what we found. This is what we learned. We gain control over our own narratives, see the past anew, prepare for the future. In a world so rushed, so bent upon busyness and productivity, we take time to say that our experiences matter and we bear witness to each other's lives. Throughout these six weeks, we chose words and then erased them. We went over the words again. We chose new words. We moved paragraphs around. We listened to each other's work. What did we like? What stuck with us? We became better listeners. We began to listen like writers. Over and over again, I witnessed the sense of pride and wonder that comes from creating something beautiful out of a previously blank page. One of the students in this class thought the class was only a one-time seminar, but she rearranged her schedule so that she could attend all six weeks. One of the younger members of the class displayed an uncanny ability to get to the heart of each piece, and the other students encouraged her to go back into teaching. Buoyed by the support of her classmates, one student decided to delve deeper into unpleasant memories she'd never written about, but that needed to get out. Students wrote responses to news events in the world around them, as well as what was going on in their own lives. The personal became universal as they recognized themselves in each other, in loss and celebration, in family and home. As each class ended, they'd filter out of the room echoes of, I've felt that too, or that happened to me, bouncing along the vaulted windows of the North Regional Library. Six weeks flew by. On the last week of class, they exchanged email addresses and phone numbers, planning to continue some informal gatherings in the summer months. The students were so proud that they suggested we create an anthology of the work they'd completed in class. 
I wish I could take you into these classrooms. There is a little bit of magic in every class. But this is the next best thing, an anthology of writing from Honoring Your Stories, a creative nonfiction workshop from the spring of 2018 at Durham County Library's North Regional Library. This anthology contains eight stories, all true, all crafted from the lives of these students. You can marvel over the creative choices they made, which words are the most effective, which details are important. You can learn more about their lives, what's important to them, what they think about. These classes are important. During our final class, after reading a beautiful poem about her long-deceased mother, Mary, a nonagenarian, summed up her favorite part. All of our stories are different, but in so many ways they are the same. In this class, we share our humanity. For more information and to become a patron, please visit artistsoapbox.org. For any questions or just to say hello, email us at artistsoapbox at gmail.com and check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.